Yeah, welcome back to the Owner Operator Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Gray, and I've got a special guest, Garrett Williams, on the show today. Garrett owns GM Outdoor Services up in Big Lake, Minnesota, correct? That's correct. Sweet. So I came across Garrett whenever I was starting my land clearing and excavation business. Garrett's on YouTube. What's your handle? I think it's uh, just Garrett, Garrett Williams, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, Williams on YouTube, or if you type in G&M Outdoors, anything that comes up. Yeah, so I came across Garrett, and he's a younger guy in his 20s. How old are you right now? Uh, 23. 23. Garrett is awesome to watch on YouTube because he's built this business from the ground up. He's got a great mindset. If you're ever in a point to where uh, you think you're busy, just go watch some of Garrett's videos. He's taken like hundreds of calls a day. Uh, he approaches it with such a great attitude. But I always, like I remember coming across your videos and I'd watch them at night whenever I was trying to learn how to do some things. I think I came across them whenever I was building our first boulder wall. You're specializing in boulder walls or that's that's one of the services that you guys do really well. Um, and so I came across your channel because I was searching for how to build boulder walls. And then from there, you know, your positive outlook on building business and just your approach to, you know, the energy you bring every day, um, it's infectious, man. So I, I like what you're doing and um, I've appreciated our conversations up to this point. So thanks for being on. I appreciate it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of people reach out. I mean, so it goes in waves. Sometimes I'll have 15 people reach out in one day and then, uh, you know, maybe a couple the next day. But I talk to guys in the business starting out and guys that have been in the business a while. I mean, all day, every day, I'm talking to other contractors all around the United States. Like I've, I've built a lot of relationships over the years with a lot of different guys, really from like the East Coast to the West Coast to Florida to Canada. I mean, <clears throat> the power of like, of the of the of the matrix of the media <laughs> of the the online <clears throat> i mean you it's like any other tool i mean you can use it to your advantage or it can be detrimental depending on how you use it but my my thing with social media i've always spent more time like creating and making videos than i have you know scrolling on there it's fun to see what other guys do but it's just like this just like few guys that i really follow pretty closely but yeah it's been a ton of fun everything i do is with my iphone like I don't have, I had a camera and I had a microphone and it was too clunky to carry around, charge the batteries and download the footage. It took too long. So you know, my time is, my time is valuable to me. So I just film with my phone, edit an iMovie, slap on YouTube. It's like, I might spend a half an hour editing a YouTube video. <laughs> if it's a crazy video, I might spend an hour, but I don't have a ton of time. And I've tried three different guys to have them edit it for me. And it just, everyone has a different style. And I kind of like them to be a certain way. I like certain, like, I don't, I don't like any ums in there. I don't like any, you know, Rick repeat of the same, you know, footage. Uh, there's certain things that I like, I, I'm not willing to budge on. <laughs> so, so far I just edited myself. I am looking for like a really good editor that I can like, that just like watches some of my videos and then can like edit them the same, you know? So if you're an editor and you like how my videos are, you can edit them that way and then call me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We'll add um, a way you can reach out to Garrett in the show notes here, but I want to provide some context for listeners and then we'll dive into your story. But Garrett started this business from the ground up. They're going to be just under 5 million in revenue this year, or if, if, if not at 5 million, right? Yeah, correct. And you started this from the ground up. Um, you are partnered with, is it your brother and sister? Is that right? 
Yeah, so originally it was me, Marlena. She's my older sister. She's a year or two older. And then I have uh, another brother that's like a year and a half younger than me. So he he came and started working for us after we've been in business, like just about a year. And then as of January last year, so it's been about a year, um, he became partial, partial owner. He kind of worked his way in. So that's uh, that's where we're at now. It's really nice. I mean, family, it's nice because they're people you know and you can trust, you know? So it's not like, you know, some guy, you know, I just met on youtube <laughs> so that's nice uh, it's you know at the end of the day you know when you trust each other i mean there's there's pros and cons but definitely like it we definitely wouldn't be where we are now without the three of us that's for sure so as of today you guys offer excavation land um excavation landscaping snow removal yep. what else what other services so i mean like we'll do so we do a lot of new construction like we'll do commercial you know landscaping boulder walls excavation utilities um that's kind of that's kind of the core of it and then uh we we also do we started doing a we started a concrete flat work division this spring summer i think it was like june-ish um that's just uh I mean, we have about five six guys in that crew now and you know one truck and a uh, van for all the tools uh that's been good it goes so hand in hand with everything we do we're always working around the concrete guys and we, we've tried a bunch of local companies because people are always asking people like if they, for residential they always want someone to build a wall and then do a patio or do a driveway so we, we tried working with seven eight majority of the local companies small companies to sub work to and there we found a couple that were decent but you know none that flowed really good so that's kind of why we just started uh started our own division just give it give it a shot and that's been really good it helped us get more residential projects because people can work with one company instead of having to find the concrete guy and then coordinate and it's just a lot more work we can come in if it's a new yard or existing we can come in build a wall create everything we know when that's going to be done so we get the concrete crew the next day we bust out the patio anything else we get right back in there and finish it up grading solid whatever it is so people love that it's just one and done so that's been really good um that's been really good this year. I think we did like 300,000 this year um, in, in flat work. So three or four. So if we're just starting out, it's pretty good. Next year, I think we goals a million for flat work. Um, but yeah, it's been uh, been good. Concrete guys that have experience. The people say like, how do you do so many things at once? Which the only way to do it is like how any other bigger, larger company does it is you can't hire one guy. You can't hire Brian to do concrete, to do boulder walls, to do utilities. Like Brian only does boulder walls. Caleb only does boulder walls. Uh, you know, uh, Scott only does concrete. So like you don't have one guy doing all those different things because that doesn't work. You know, one guy can't drive a truck that's set up to do all that. Like there's a concrete truck, you know, there's so we keep our guys doing the same things. And that's how we're able to do you know, a few different things, you know, all at the same time. Did that make sense? Yes. And I want to dive into that after we paint some picture on the context of building the business too. So let's start out right now. What is your current team size? How many team members do you have? Right now we're I think like upper thirties for plowing. And then in the summertime, it's right around like high twenties to 30. So on average in the summer, you probably say 28 and winter around 38. Okay, so 20, 28 to 38 team size, mm -hmm. dependent upon the season. How many different crews are you running right now? In the summertime, it's six. And then plowing, uh, everyone kind of has like these certain, they, you know, these two big accounts. These guys have these three accounts. So we plow mainly in about a 20, 15 to 20 mile radius. So everyone is just plowing in that. Um, but then, yeah, summertime, it's six different crews to so run six different jobs every day. How did you break those crews apart currently? 
Um, always, so we always have a, uh, a foreman, which he's responsible for the job basically. And then anyone else on the job. And we have a few guys, we have like three or four guys that are kind of floaters that operate animal labor to where like <clears throat> right now, today, the guys are doing a big job on the golf course. They're doing boulder walls or doing a dry riverbed. And it's a lot of material moving around. So like we'll throw, you know, the foreman usually has one or two guys. So usually I'd say like three. And then, uh, and then if they're doing a bigger job, they need more labor, or they're trying to get something done, then we'll throw, you know, yeah, you know, Chase, Mason, we have three, four guys that kind of float around. So we'll kind of, wherever they're needed most, that's where they go to help to get, get to get the work done when it needs to be done. So on average, I'd say three guys, but sometimes up to like six. Okay. And out of those six crews, um, what specifically do each of those crews do? Like, so we have, we have excavation. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, uh, we also, we also source our own boulders. So in order to do boulder walls really well, at least in our area, it's hard to find a good supplier. Like when you're building a wall, say it's a tight wall, you're like a wall we just did this week. There was like 15 feet between two houses and we're building a wall. It had to be, you know, 48 inches from the footing, but it couldn't be more than like four feet off the line. So like we have to have two foot boulders here. There's no room for any three foot and foot is too small. So it's like, no matter what, we need two foot boulders on this job. Like, we, cause that's what we do. We do a lot of lakeshore work. It's always tight. There's never enough room. So getting the right size and on time is crucial in order to do boulder walls efficiently and like on that job also it's on a, a lot of our lakes are really crammed like they cram the houses so tight like you know we have more than ten thousand lakes in minnesota but a lot of them around the metro they're all crowded because everyone wants to live on the lake so like this job it's like we need our boulders delivered the morning of because there's no room to stock them a week in advance because we had to dump them right in the middle of the driveway and there's other contractors on this new house so it's like we gotta drop the morning of and then get them off the driveway and get them around the back to you know build this wall so it, timing and size is crucial to do boulder walls quickly and efficiently. So we, we, we tried, there's only like two, two, three guys in the Metro that haul and supply boulders. And we tried them all. The one guy, Derek, we, we did pretty good with, um, but then and, you know, you're two in and started to get like, Hey, you know, I'll be there at 10 AM and he'd show up at 2 PM and the rock could be twice the size. They'd be four footers. It's like these four footers aren't going to work. So now you got to load these back up or not dump them and then go with the right size. Like you just ruined the day. And like, you know, we were not going to get that done that day because we didn't have the right size and they were late and that just didn't work for us. Like we didn't have control. So we went out and started looking around. We said, now we source all our own rock. So we have the guy, Travis's crew. All he does is source the boulders. He'll dig them from gravel pits, from farms, you know, anywhere. We always, people say, where do you get your boulders? I say, wherever we can find them, wherever they're sitting, that's where we get them. I don't know where else to get them other than where they are. So wherever that is, like, uh, it's, we're, we're an hour north of the metro and you got to go anywhere from like 45 minutes to an hour and a half to find them. So that's what we do. We have Travis, he uh, he sources them and we truck them. We have our own truck. So now we, now we have the right size when we need it every time. And if we don't, it's our fault. So that's exactly how I like it to be. So since we started doing that, that really, that really helps scale our boulder division. So we have Travis digging them and then Caleb, Brian, they are doing, they mainly just do boulder walls. So they're tearing out old walls, putting it new and work for builders. So they're going to a lot of new houses, new buildings and doing new walls. Um, and then we have Jackson, he does a lot of excavating stuff and utilities. And then we have Tanner who does a lot of uh, smaller landscape projects. So new and old, tearing out old, putting in new and a new, we work for a couple builders where we do like the full landscape pack package where we sub out the irrigation. And then we do all the sod, trees, grading, black dirt, all that. So 
And then um, sometimes some bigger jobs will put two crews together, but otherwise like it works good where like we do like full packages now where it's like, say if someone puts in a pool, we'll come in and we'll, we'll have Brian come and he'll build a wall and then Tanner will come or the concrete guys will come to a pool deck and then Tanner will come and do a landscape. So sometimes we have, you know, three different crews on the one job. They're just in there doing what they do and they get out and next one gets in. And so people, some people really, really like that. They would way rather work with one than try to find three different guys their companies, you know, to work with to get their job done. I love it, man. I also love that you just move a million miles an hour. It seems like you're always just making things happen. I remember I called you uh, whenever we were on the Fed project this year and one conversation that stuck out. I think we were talking boulders at that point. And, and I asked you that same question, where are you sourcing your boulders? And you're like, yeah, wherever we can find them. I, I just go make deals with, with people. And, and I think that that's, that is one common trait with successful business owners. It's like, you gotta be able to go make deals. And, yeah. and also, also just like one thing you said right there is you like it whenever you guys have full control of the situation. Yeah. One thing we're learning right now in our business is we're constrained by our truckers. Like if we're gonna go do a gravel driveway and I've got, I've got some great truckers who run for me, but they also take care of other excavation contractors here. And if one guy's on a giant job and he's tied up for three days and I can't get that job, three, you know, in for three days, but I only had a window in on Tuesday afternoon to squeak that in. Um, yep. I miss out on that job. Right. And so if you guys are, who are listening right now are interested in, you know, getting into the land services business or outdoor services related to excavation, go watch Garrett's YouTube channel. It's awesome. It's very impressive kind of what they do with their equipment, um, how they brand it and how they're running their crews. Um, they, they've got something here that I think a lot of people can model after. Can you tell us real quick, like what your current fleet of equipment is right now to control yeah. those inputs? Yeah. Um, that's funny. You bring that up of like of needing the trucks. Like you, you need the trucks when you need them. There's not always room to stockpile. It doesn't always make the most sense. So like the reason we bought dump trucks and a side dump is because we were dealing with the exact same issue. And if I only have Tuesday to do that and I'm slam rest of the week, it's like, I'm going to do that Tuesday no matter what. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to I'm gonna wheelbarrow the, the material from the pit to the job to get it done if I have to. So that's why that's why we bought our own trucks. It's like for us, that just didn't work. It's like if I if I when I need it, I need it. And, you know, and I get it. Not everyone waits for your schedule. Like now no one's sitting around with a truck waiting for you to call. No one's doing that. They're busy doing other stuff. So, yeah, you can plan stuff out or stuff that moved around. So like for that, I agree. That's the exact reason why we have trucks. Like if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have them because they're incredibly expensive, expensive to run, expensive to buy, like a nice and newer dump truck that is reliable. Um, but yeah, that's, that's funny you mentioned that because that's exactly why we started getting our own bowlers. And that's exactly why we, you know, run quads. We have two quads. We had three and then we sold one this fall. So now we have two, but uh, that's why we have our own. We could have five or six easily and, and keep them going on our jobs and hire out um, and, you know, hire them out. But just they're so expensive. I mean, to find a decent truck is at two, three hundred thousand plus to find a guy and everything. So we have enough to keep our jobs moving, but we could definitely use more. So we still hire trucking companies all the time. Every week in the summer, we still hire local trucking companies. But with the, with the three that we have, two dumps and a side dump, uh, that just keeps our, us going when we need, you know, when we really need it. Um, but for equipment, we started, I mean, from the ground up, we had 2000 bucks saved up and that's it. And we were, you know, we didn't have any credit. We didn't have a credit card, nothing was started. So we just started renting everything. Got our first kids here after like a year. I finally convinced a local banker. I was able to take out the lunch to like to build a relationship to give us a loan because like U.S. Bank, Wells Fargo, 
none of them would even like consider giving you a loan. None of the big banks would consider giving you a loan until you have been in business like three years and had, you know, a decent down payment and everything else. Well, you know, at first when we started, we didn't have any of that. So it, it, finally we got a local bank to give us a loan. And then uh, we paid that one off right away and we've, we built a good relationship with them. We built trust with them uh, fairly rapidly. So uh, today, I think this is our sixth season, sixth full season. I think we have like 23 trucks um, total, uh, I think like 18 pickups, 19 pickups. And we have like a smaller dump truck, like a uh, single wheel. And then we have a uh, side dump, two quads. And then I think we have around 10 skid loaders, uh, all tracks except for one. And then we, have, we think we have seven excavators from like six ton up to uh 30 ton and then i don't know a bunch of hand tools i mean it's it's a lot it's a lot to keep track of it's a lot to maintain it's a lot of insurance it's a lot of uh, a lot of everything so at some point i'd like to go all the way back to the beginning and, and get you to tell us like taking us back through that but we're in some good topics right now and and one thing i've called you about before is your thought process on equipment purchasing i remember i called you whenever we were buying our uh, Bobcat E50. Um, so can you talk about like how you view purchasing equipment and let us know if that mindset has changed like since the beginning? Mm -hmm. So my mom's mindset on equipment has always been put the carriage before the horse <laughs> is to get this out from day one. We've always, maybe it's in the right way to do it. This is what's worked for us. Cause like we always like, like we didn't have a bunch of money starting out. And so like we had to, I couldn't just go buy two skid loaders and then go look for the work. Like I had to get the work first before I could afford the skids here. Like I wasn't going to go buy an excavator and hope I could get the work for it and try to keep busy. I always got the work for the excavator. Before, I always had like a decent, like two, three months of good work lined up for any piece of equipment before going and buying it. And if you're looking around, you can't find what you need. Well, you rent until then. You call around, you find a good rate, negotiate a good rental deal with the local company and then rent. And, you know, while you're doing the work, rent and, to, you know, start getting more of that work, getting it done and then, you know, buy. So we've always got the work and then the equipment, not vice versa, because you equipment sitting around is like that just doesn't it doesn't work when you're a small business. So like, get all the work as you can get much as you can for it and then buy it. And you keep it busy, post about it, share that you have the equipment, and then the work will keep coming. That's what we've done is we've gotten the work first. And then once a piece of equipment is slammed and it's full all the time, we need two or three more, then we go buy another one. And then that one's really busy, and that one's going eight, 900,000 hours a year, then buy another one. And then you get all, and you have five excavators, and all of those are busy, busy, can't keep up, then you get your six. And then then you kind of catch up a little bit, and it's nice, and you have everything you need. And then all of a sudden, they're all going 800,000 hours a year. They need another one. So you get that. It's just repeat, repeat, repeat. Once you get rolling, it's it just it flows. So can you talk about the structure in which you've used to purchase those first pieces of equipment? And has that developed with time? Do you buy with cash or do you finance? And what's your outlook there? Um, yeah, there's it's I mean, there's a million ways you can do it now. There's so many, there's so many uh, you know, lease programs and buy programs. And one thing I'll say is there is no free, there is no uh, you know, interest free. Interest free is nothing. No matter what, if the bank is giving you a loan, they're gonna make money on it. They're not just giving you a loan to do you a favor. Uh this is something I learned in, in the last couple of years is like your interest free loan or you know, no interest, it's no brainer. Well, so let's say that machine is a hundred thousand. If you walk in there with cash, you're not going to pay a hundred thousand. You're going to pay about eighty-five or ninety, because what they do is with interest-free is they mark the price way up, and that's where they make their money. No bank is ever going to give you a loan for free. Like no, I always remember that. Like they're 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 not they're not they don't owe you a favor. They're not going to give you a free. They're not going to 
take liability and risk on you for, for nothing. So the zero down, zero interest is never as good as it seemed. That's what I, that's what I learned buying, you know, over 50 pieces of equipment now in the last few years. Um, so what we do is, I don't like to rent because it's so much hassle picking it up, dropping it off, uh, fueling it up, it has to be back today. You know, I don't, we only rent what we absolutely have to. So if we have more than about 250 hours of work for it for any year, then we buy it. So basically if we're gonna use it every, you know, couple of weeks, then we buy it. And then try to do what it takes to get enough work to fill it up. But if you, they say, if you run it to 250 hours profitably in a year, then you, know, you can at least cover the costs and um, just try to keep it busy or, you know, get more to keep it busy. But uh, what we do now is we, anything, anything small, like I would say small to us is like, you know, 25,000 or less we'll either buy cash or we'll put it on the credit card and pay it off in like a month um anything more than that we'll finance and then we try to make double payments on everything in the summer so if we take a five-year loan on a skid loader we try to pay off two and a half excavator the same so some of the bigger ones like the, like the trucks like a dump truck like we got a new peterbilt 567 this year i think we did like a new piece of equipment like that i think you can finance with like six or seven years so we put some money down and then try to pay double payments while it's working and then you know, just make the minimum payment in the winter and then back to that. So we try to pay everything off in like half the time. That way you're ahead on equity. Like all these, like the industry that we're in, it's, it's expensive. It's expensive. Like, so we, like you can build equity in vehicles. You know, you have a $100,000 tractor that, you know, you have paid off with that's, you know, equity driving around that you can, if you want to sell that and upgrade, you can put all that into the next one. Or, you know, there's things you can do once you, you know, been around for like all of a sudden you've been in business six years like you start having some stuff paid off like you know we paid double payments like now all the stuff we have at three years old it's all paid off so we we lease a little bit we find i like to just buy because you have the most you can do whatever you want with it when you own it i can sell it today i can keep it when you have a lease um say we have like we've done some like five-year leases the payments are really cheap and it looks great up front but then you're three years in and you have you have to make all the remaining payments and then whatever that buyout is. Okay, now I, I want to sell this excavator because we want we want to upgrade it. Well, now I, you know then it's 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 harder to get out of the lease. You can you can sell it. You just have to make sure you cover the remaining payments and whatever the balance due is. So I know what kind of like a skid loader. Like if you lease it for five years, I think the buyout on the last one I seen was at twenty four thousand. So if I have a five year lease and I am three years in, I want to get rid of it. Then I have to cover those payments plus like the twenty whatever thousand. So you know I have to sell this for you know. 35,000 in order to just break even. Where if I can buy a sealer and I can pay it off, I'll, I, we're selling one right now that we have paid off that we've had for three years. You know, I can just do whatever I want that I can take the equity, put it in something else. I don't gotta worry about, you know, it, it's just easier to get out of. It's more maneuverable if you own it, like uh, always, instead of, you know, having a lease. So we do some leases, like a real loader is nice because we're, we're not gonna keep it. We're just gonna run the lease out because once you're done with the lease after five years or three, whatever it is, you can just give it back and you don't owe anything. Um, or you can buy it and then keep it or sell it, whatever you want to do. So like our wheel loader, I do some, like we're just going to, we'll probably buy that. It's been a really good machine, but like you can give it back or whatever. So we, we do maybe like 20% leasing and the rest is all just purchase. Quick question for you. And it's basically specific to my business because we're actually looking uh, at wheel loader options next year for the federal contract that we're going back to. Um, are you able to buy Doosan equipment through your Bobcat rep or is that a complete specific excuse me, like is that a specific branch within that holding company? Do you get to oh. use the same rep or what? Yeah, there is a, we have a dealer, there's a Bobcat and Doosan dealer literally like a half mile from our shop, which is why people are like, why do you buy a Bobcat? Well, there's a dealer half mile away. So <laughs> parts and everything, it's a no brainer. We can buy a new skid loader, drive it over to our shop. Like that's why we ran Bobcat and I was most familiar with it. 
when we started. So I stuck with what I know. And we are going a little bit more towards Cat. Believe it or not, uh, Ziegler Cat, our local dealership, the closest one is like 40 minutes, but they just bought a massive building facility like two miles from our shop. And they're and they're gonna open like in early this year, early early twenty twenty four. So that is like for us, it's so nice. Parts, everything is all a couple miles away now instead of forty minutes. So that's a big deal. So if we see more white guy equipment in our fleet in the future, that's why because they moved right in. It's perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think um, it just uh, it just yeah whatever. I mean whatever whatever works whatever works for you at the time, you know, do, do whatever you can. We bought a lot of you starting out and then eventually worked our way up to new. Cause if you have a lot of work for it, you definitely need new. Yeah, definitely. So take us back to the beginning. I get this question a lot. Whenever I'm starting a business, how long do I need to rent? And then at mm -hmm. what point do I need to make that first purchase? So whenever you, you are ready to make that first purchase, you kind of outline the timeline there. So rent until you get enough work for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I bought that E50 after I had had the E50 on rent from a rental company for two months straight of rental. And That's then exactly I, what we did. Yeah. And then I called you, talked about it. I'm like, hey, what's your approach on this? We had the federal contract in the pipeline. And you're like, no brainer. Like, pull that trigger. You're going to make a ton of money with it. Right. And we did. And it was a great decision. Um, but whenever you're buying that first one, can you take us back to what financing structure did you use? And and how did you guys set that up in the beginning? Yeah, I can do that. Um, so kind of bounce back to your previous question. Yeah, that the dealer right by us does have Doosan and Bobcat. So it's like you, if we finance through PNC, we can do Bobcat or Doosan. So yeah, they, they kind of are hand in hand. It's the same sales guy that we can get either or. But I know there's some dealerships that don't carry Doosan, Bob, you know, Bobcat dealerships that only have Bobcat or whatever. So it just depends on your area and what your local dealer has. Um, but yeah, for our first skid loader, we just rented like the first year, year and a half or so. And then it was kind of just a racket, you know, one would break down you have to get another one. And then, you know, it's an expensive monthly payment. I think rental is more meant in my opinion, rental is like you're doing a one-off job or you go to a job four hours away and you don't want to carry your equipment that far. So you can just rent local, use it for a week, a month, whatever, and bring it back. Cause it's the, what you pay for rental is ridiculous. Like $4,000 a month for a new skid loader to rent. And then, you know, if you go over an hour, they're going to charge you more. And it's just like, they're always nickel and diamond, it seems, which I get it because they're only renting it to make money. They're not renting it to you to give you a favor. No one owes you nothing. So like they're there to make a, make a buck and that's what they're doing. So like, you know, you can rent a skid loader, like three, four grand a month, a new track machine, or you can go buy one for a thousand a month. It's like, yeah, then you, you know, you have that debt, but it's, it's costing you, you know, a, a quarter of, and you still got to pay for fuel. And, and if you, if you back into a tree and dent the door, you still got to pay for that. Like you're still liable for the machine. It's not like when you're renting, you can just do whatever you want and trash it and you don't got to pay for it. Like you're still hundred percent reliable for everything. So that's what we did. We just rented just basically we rented until as soon as the local bank would give us a loan for a new one because we had the work for it and we didn't want to buy an old clunker that we're constantly fixing because every old machine has a lot of problems. They're all the same in that way. If something's 20 years old and you're using it all day, every day, you're going to have a lot of issues. If you're using it an hour here and there, you probably won't. But for us, we're using it and abusing it 12 hours a day. So it's, we, need, we need something reliable. So that's what we did with our first skid loader after a year and a half. We finally made a connection with local bank. He gave us a loan at high interest, but we didn't care. We just happened to have a loan, start building credit, got it paid down right away. I called him like a year later. I was like, hey, I know you gave us high interest on this loan. Because all all numbers, all everything, everything for sale is negotiable. Nothing's set. So like, I called him like a year later. I was like, hey, can you give us a better rate on this machine? And I know 
you were, uh, you know, a little skeptical at first, which I don't blame you. I'd be skeptical too <laughs> if I were you. But, uh, you know, we made our payments every time. We made double payments for the last year. Can you give us a bet? Can you bring, come down the rate at all, whatever? And he's like, yeah, no problem. Came down like a percent and a half. So you can you can definitely negotiate rates. Like when a bank, when you say you want to buy something, a bank says, here's what we can do. That's not the best they can do. That's what they want to do. So always do, always be willing to ask and just like, hey, can we get this down at all? Anything we can do here. And there's always something they can do. Um, so then, yeah, it was our 50. We think we bought another skid loader. And then when we bought our first, it was an E55 with a grapple. We rented it for like two months. And then I went to the guy. I was like, hey, really need this machine. Is there any way we can take like these last two months worth of rental payments, which was, you know, three, four grand. So like this seven, eight thousand, whatever it was, like is there any way we can buy this and put that into the machine? And he's like, yeah, I'll get back to you. And then he's like, yeah, we can do that. So then we ended up purchasing E55 with a grapple. And then we just, we used it so much. We used it seven eight hours a day five days a week six days a week and then we eventually bought uh our next one which was uh 145. what was that grapple that you got it's a cmp hydro grapple uh for boulder walls it's a must it's, it works, works good for everything tree work grubbing um it's just it rotates 360 and clamps so it's it uh you gotta unhook the hydraulic lines take it off but for like what we do it, they're a must that's the one you started with though on the e55 yeah it's like uh i think it's like some h something 112 or 114 or something yeah so my friend started started an excavation business over in steamboat and i brought him as a, in as a subcontractor on the federal project and i showed him your videos and he ended up buying the cmp and he brought that right. in on the Fed project and that thing is so awesome for tree work it is dude it works good for everything it's like just a bucket and a thumb i always say like i don't care how much experience you have i don't care how long you've been doing it it with just a regular bucket you can't spin it around you can't tilt it you can't you know you know tilt up 45 degrees you can't do any of that with like an anton or a cmp grapple there it just opens up a, a whole new world of possibilities on the machine that you already have like your machine with just a bucket unless you're strictly just digging dirt all day that's great but if you're doing yeah tree work boulder walls demo like you can sort stuff you can crunch stuff up i mean it's just it's night and day difference like we have seven excavators and three of them have grapples and we make more money with those machines than a skid loader a truck anything else hands down like that that though like that's what we make our money with is the excavators and the grapples for what we do yeah i'm with you man that thing is flexible it's awesome. You can maneuver it in some really tight places. I mean, we were we cleared like 20 acres of just deadfall mm -hmm. up in the park. And um, yeah, like the difference between that and the other excavator that we had with just the bucket and the thumb was crazy. Like he was creating these <laughs> super organized piles. We'd come yep. behind with a track chipper. They were perfectly organized. Then we'd just grab that, the organized piles with the bucket and thumb and feed the track chipper. But yep. his role was to go into the like, really tight spots where everything's like jack strawed all over each other grab them rotate them move them to where they need to go and it was yeah awesome dude it's insane like if it takes your excavator from like you know its capabilities of this with a bucket and a thumb like i said unless you're only digging dirt but if you're doing anything tree work boulder walls demolition anything it takes it from this being able to then go build do that like we're doing demo like you can peel off all the tin like whenever you're doing demo you're always sorting everything you're not just smashing you know a house to building one pile and shoving in the dumpster we're always sorting the steel we're sorting you know the concrete the footing you know everything else so like with the gravel you can just pick sort and make perfect piles of everything and load it all up yeah it's so much more organized so much faster 
saved so much everything. It's like I was looking at a grapple the other day. We have one that has like I think like twenty five or almost three thousand hours, twenty five hundred to three thousand hours, and it still works absolutely perfect. It's a little loose. It's you know all the paint's worn off it, but it's like this thing still works. It still works perfectly fine. It's like that was like the best like fourteen thousand we ever spent. Like we've made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands with that fourteen thousand dollar grapple. On the on the E fifty air first, we still have the first one. It works great. Yeah, this is awesome, man. All right, let's let's jump into the beginning now. Take us back to the beginning. A lot of our listeners are wanting to start their local service business. So, mm-hmm. how do you go get work in the beginning? How did you start this business? Mm-hmm. Uh, starting out is the hardest part. Like if you can get through starting out and get, get through for a couple of years, like then you can do the rest as long as you keep the same mentality and same, you know, drive. So, uh, when we started out, like some people, I know some like families, some people are really involved with the community. And if you are, that really helps. Cause you already kind of know people. Well, it's like my, my dad is from the Metro and everyone always asks like, what do your parents do? So my dad, he's from like middle of the city. He works in a machine shop. He's been there forever, as long as I've been alive. Like he's never worked a day in this industry in his life. And my mom has been in the healthcare. She was like Northern Minnesota. So they kind of met in the middle, which was like an hour North of the Twin Cities. So that's where we are. A little town of Big Lake, it's like 10,000 people. The town that we're in, there's not a lot in, but you know, within a half hour drive, there's a lot of opportunity. So we started out, I was 17, Marlena was, I think, Marilena was 20, 19 or 20. And I, so I did have, so my mom's side, my grandpa, he, he had a, a construction company. It was like him and whoever else was around a guy or two who had, you know, he did boulder walls, he did concrete. He built like seven, eight houses over his career. So I started working the summers with him when I was young. That's how I learned to do the work. That's how I learned, you know, what hard work was. So he kind of retired and basically said, you know, I don't have enough to keep you busy anymore when I was 16. So I went and worked for another really big company for when I, when I was 16, I think I quit when I was like 17. Um, and then went out and started my own. So I already had, like, I already knew the basics. I knew how to run an excavator. I knew how to run a skid loader. I knew how to, I learned how to run a front end loader at that landscape company. I was 16 at the time and I was driving dump, manual dump truck because I was the only one that knew how to drive a dump truck there. I was still two years from getting my CDL and I was driving manual dump truck with air brakes doing deliveries and stuff because no one else there knew how to drive a manual and I did. So they put me in it and like, like this dog could pull over and it'll be fine. And I never did. <laughs> I wouldn't do that now, but like, I loved it. I was like, if I get a ticket, you know, it'll be on them. It won't be, it won't be my problem, you know, whatever. So uh, if I, it would have been my problem, but thanks, I never got pulled over. But uh, so I, I I just knew how to do stuff. And I loved I loved doing the work. I always worked as long as much as I could. When I worked for other companies, like my goal is always to be the best employee they ever had. I was always looking at ways I can improve to be as quickly as efficient as possible. Like I was always trying to make the company as much money as possible, even though, you know, I wasn't I, I never been doing it for the money. It wasn't like, you know, I, I always just loved the work and I just I just enjoyed it. So then uh, I started in July, me and Marlena, we started in July, we filed the LLC, it was like four or 500 bucks. And it, we had like no money. So we had to be, you know, we had to be smart. We couldn't just go and, you know, start marketing everywhere and just start doing all this stuff because we didn't have any money. So I remember um, getting to work like, and we didn't know anyone in the community either. I worked, you know, Northern Minnesota some, and we were, we were all homeschooled. So like, I wasn't, I wasn't involved. Like the local, I didn't know anyone. Like, I didn't know any, it's like if you right now came to, you know, if you flew to California, to San Diego and went to try to start a company, you don't know anyone, you have no connections. That's how it was. Like, I, I wasn't involved with all the local community. I didn't know anyone locally. Very few, like just a handful of people. So 
um, I went out and we got, got a website or we started Facebook for free, got a website. Marlena built a website in like Wix, like 100, 200 bucks and just like took some pictures we had. And I, I, I've always took pictures of everything. I've always taken videos of everything I've been doing way before I even had the business anything. So I just take a ton of pictures of the work of the process, started making some videos right off the bat. And then um, the first job came from Facebook. We made, so you can make a Facebook business page for free. You can pay to boost ads and all that, but all you have a half an hour and a few pictures, you can create a Facebook business profile. It's not rocket science. So our first job ever, I'll never forget it, was a little landscape job. It was like two grand. I remember I got the job. I was so excited because that was, that was the first job ever. And our second job was actually a referral from them. And then so I went to that job. That was like a week. And then during that week when I was working there, um, it was a paper job. Then we started at Home Advisor. Someone had mentioned Home Advisor. And back then, it's it's not now it's not what it was then. But I'll never forget it. I remember uh, someone like said, oh, you can get, you know, instant leads off Home Advisor. And I was like, I never heard of that. I'm like, what's Home Advisor? And I remember we looked into it and it was like 500 bucks to sign up. And then it was like 20 to 80 bucks per lead. And I remember, I'll never forget it. We're like, we at the time we didn't have 500 bucks. We're like, we'll put it on the credit card and we'll hope for the best. And if we don't get any work, we're screwed. Hopefully we get some work and we can pay it off. We legitimately didn't have the 500 bucks at the time. So then we've got a home advisor and like we instantly started getting leads for jobs. So like as soon as I would get the lead, I would call the person I'd run out there and we ended up getting a decent amount of work from it right off the bat. And that like, that really helped us. Like it was like, it was like, cause it was like instant work. It's like, you got to pay for it, but you can instantly get leads run out there. I mean, it's, you're not guaranteed the job. You still got to bid it and, you know, and work on a deal with them. But we instantly had leads and I don't know what, what other way to get leads instantly. You know, like if you need leads right now, you could get them from home advisor, you just had to pay. So, cause it's free for the consumer. A homeowner goes on there and wants a boulder wall. They go on there, type in their info and it goes to like five different contractors. Majority of them aren't even going to reach out. Um, so it is somewhat competitive, but it's not, it's not super tough to, to beat the competition around here. Just do what you say you're going to do, answer the phone and, and you stick out. So I think, I think that's how it is in most areas. Everyone's so busy and, and over promises on delivers on the regular and we've never, you know, been that way. So that's how we got a bunch of work. And then we been took good care of everyone. Always did we said we're going to do always stood behind work and then started building like our core uh, base of customers. And then we just done a lot of advertising done YouTube, Instagram, done some billboards. Like now we kind of do a little bit of everything and it helps. A lot of our best jobs still come from referrals, but if you want to really go quick, you have to do some advertising. If you want to stay small, you don't have to, like there's a lot of guys that don't do any. It's all referral word of mouth and they're, you know, six, five, six guys, and that's all they ever grow to, that's fine. But if you really want to scale, you definitely gonna do some advertising. How did you bid those first jobs? That's a great question. I had zero clue how to bid a job because everywhere I worked before, they never, I never knew anything about bidding. No one ever told me a single thing about how to bid a job. So I remember the first one, I think I got the job for like 2200 and it ended up costing like that much alone in material. Like as I underestimated the amount of block and I called and asked how much they were and I didn't mark them up enough. And, and uh, it, I mean, I, I really learned a bid just by doing thousands of bids and doing the jobs. And when you, when, when you do the job, you have to job cost everything so that you know how it went. You know, if you plan for a $10,000 job, you bid it for 10,000 and you plan to make 3000. Well, once the job's done, if you don't calculate all your labor, all your material, all your overhead, everything in it, then you have no idea how it really went. So I was always running the numbers in my head, and like, yeah, 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 that one's pretty good. Then Merlana would put it on paper and be like, this is the material, this is the labor. I'm like, what, we only made 600 bucks? I'm like, I thought that was a good one. Say, well, here's all the numbers, the numbers don't lie. So then uh, getting getting all that out of my head and on paper was like, the, you have to do it. You, you don't know how to accurately bid if you don't know exactly all your expenses. So I learned just by trial and error, losing a lot of money, breaking even. 
uh, just by doing just from experience. I mean, like the, the first three years, this is what a lot of people like don't get. Everyone sees it now and they're like, oh, that's cool. That's great, whatever. But like most people don't understand what it really takes. Like for like, the first three, four years, like I literally committed my whole life to this business. Like it was like in every waking hour I was working, I was working all day Saturday and, you know, half a day Sunday. And it was like, I committed everything I could possibly, all my energy, all my, everything I could possibly ever do into this business to get to like, to grow to where it is and that's what you have to do like if you you have to fully commit it's not like a side hustle it's not a it's not you know optional it's like i always just want i wanted to succeed so bad and i was willing to you know put in the time and the effort of what it takes to do that so that's what i did and then it was it's easier it's a lot easier when you if you have a family it's a totally different story because you can't work till 11 p.m six days a week like your family you can't just put your family on the back burner and prioritize work that's not going to work like it'll work for the business but it's not going to work for your family i was like if you have you have like dirt business and you have family business like you gotta you got spend time on both you can't just neglect one stick with the other because the other one's going to go away so for me i was single like I, I i lived believe it or not i lived in a camper for like a year and a half and all i did was work i paid the guy 200 bucks a month to rent to park it there got a camper and then uh like i just lived in there and i, I worked literally as much as i possibly could and then you know i eventually you know got townhouse and i eventually bought a house but it would work out good because i was single most of the time or if you have a girlfriend you know you, can, you still have more flexibility you can you know got to be there you know it's not like having a wife and a kid and a family so being young and being you know not being tied down elsewhere really helped man i love this story and it's just a testament to how much work you've put into this and really just your work ethic and you know thankfully i had my dad similar deal owns a concrete company i grew up working with him the one thing i learned from him during the summers was just you show up you work hard and you get paid and rewarded whenever you do work hard. And so it sounds like your grandfather was the person for you uh, who instilled that work ethic in you. But it's something that pop entrepreneurship culture is not talking about right now. Everybody wants to play armchair quarterback and sit back and direct everything and go straight to, you know, sitting on the beach and being retire, retired early. But mm -hmm. very few people are actually talking about what actually goes into building a business. And I mean, you can look at your YouTube channel right now and it is incredible. You watch the equipment that you guys are running. You watch the teams that you guys are running, how you treat your employees. Um, you guys have something really cool here, but you didn't get there just one day deciding that you want to start a business and I want to go hire people to go do the work. No, like you've been putting in hours and hours and hours day in, day out for years to do this. And, um, to, to, most of our listeners are in their 20s, right? I think that's the best time to start this kind of business. I'm 32 right now. I've got a wife and a kid. So I've got to be very efficient with the time I do work. Um, exactly. But where I was like, or I didn't have to be, <laughs> I tried to be, but I didn't have to be as much. Like now, now, now I'm 23. I'm married. I have a house. I have a baby coming in like a month and a half. It's a boy. I'm super excited. But like now it's like, I can't work until. I mean, I can, but like, I don't want to, and it's not good for my marriage. So like, I have to, I got to be done with work by five or six. I can take a few phone calls, text, whatever after, but I can't be on a job until dark and then go do paperwork, go do quotes until midnight. That's what I used to do. I did that for years. It's like, I didn't just bust out and you know, not sleep for two weeks. And me and Marlena, we didn't just like work really hard for two weeks, grit our teeth and say no to all our friends for two weeks. And now we have this business. Like, no, this has been 
years and years. It's a sacrifice in every way. It's like we sacrificed all of our time. She was the same way. She worked full time for like a year and a half, two years. On her lunch break, she was making calls, sending emails. As soon as she was off work at five, she was working until eight, nine p.m. on all the back end stuff, helping me with some quotes. Like she, she worked just as hard as I did um, the whole time, and then she eventually quit her job and then came on full time, which was great. Um, but like, it's not, it's, it's sacrificed in every way. It's all your time. And like, we, like I, I just, we always took for the first like three years, we took just enough money to, for what we needed to, to survive, to pay our bills, to, to eat, whatever. And we put it all back in because buying all this stuff like is expensive because you can grow profitably, but if you want to really grow, you have to put all that money back in. Like I could have started, I could have started taking the salary. We both could have a lot sooner, but it would have a hundred percent just like, Singes the growth of the company as take us taking all the money out and going on trips and doing all this, then just putting it all back in. Every time we made money, we just put it right back in. We bought the next thing, we paid that off, you know, and then that, that's what it took for years in order to build the fleet that we have. It's like we have a lot of stuff now, but then like it's all it that three, four years of starting out and just giving it all like that. That's really what boosts us and got us to where we are. What do you think? is the most important thing to reinvest back in, in the early days? Um, I mean, so it depends on your business. Cause like, if you're more of like a service-based business, like one of my in-laws, my wife's dad, like he's a painting company. So he has a bunch of little vans and paint sprayers, brushes, rollers. So it's like, it's not expensive for him to add another crew. It's, you know, 10,000 bucks where for us to add another crew, it's five to 500,000, a million bucks in equipment to try to add another crew, a truck or a truck or two, you know, pick up an excavator, a scale or attachment. So it's like, it depends, it depends a lot on your business, but I mean, starting out, like you kind of, everything goes in flows. Like you get the work, then you need the equipment and then you have more equipment and less work. So you get the work. So for me, it was like, it was like always like balancing everything. As you got more work, you had to get a little more equipment, a little more people, more processes, more permits, more of everything. So it's kind of always like building evenly because this goes like this and then it goes like that and then it goes like this. So it kind of just like, just keep, I would say trying to keep everything evenly, not having too much equipment, not having too much staff for the workload you have. But then, you know, you get a bunch of work and now you need more equipment, more guys and you get kind of caught up and then everything's going good. Then you get a bunch more work and then, you know, you, so it's just it building everything evenly because it, it never goes evenly on its own. You know what I mean? That always kind of goes and flows. Yeah. We, so we've already talked equipment buying as far as a reinvestment perspective. Let's talk people. How do you find people? You've decided that you want to reinvest in growing the team. How do you recruit? That's that's everyone's biggest struggle. No, I don't think anyone's mastered it. Some people have done really well with it, but people are not equipment. I can buy a piece of equipment and I can use and abuse it 12 hours a day and it's always going to be there and I can do whatever I want with it. I can bring it here. I can bring it there. I can do whatever. And yes, it'll break down and it'll, it'll need repairs and whatever, but it's not like they're not people. So people we, we've always treated, we've always tried to treat all of our customers, all of our employees, how we want to be treated. Like they want, they have a day for whatever reason they want a day off. We give them the day off. Like we, people are not equipment. So you have to, I mean, everyone has, strengths and weaknesses and everyone i always think <laughs> i thought i think about it this way like every person is going to have a couple bad days a year where they have something in their personal life or so the more people bring on the more guaranteed bad days you have in a year <laughs> it's like everyone has two a year so like with 20 employees you're gonna have 40 a year that you gotta deal with <laughs> like everyone has like no one no one's perfect everyone has strengths and weaknesses so it's like it's the hardest thing to manage it's not just buying 10 pieces of equipment throwing it on the job and boom done it's not that at all it's it's you know it's training people in certain aspects that some people take longer you gotta have a lot of patience you have to have 
a lot of, uh, you know, you, you can't get mad at him, freak out over some little thing because everyone's going to make a mistake. They're going to hit something. They're going to, you know, do something you won't want them to do. You're going to tell them not to do something. They're going to do it. It's going to happen. So I guess finding the right people, with a lot of them have came from uh, referrals. And then we, we go on Indeed and we've kind of found, like, you know, people watch the channel for a year. And then they already feel like they know us and they really want to come work for us. So we've kind of got people from all over. We've built a really good team and really fortunate that way. There is really good people out there. You just got to find them, get them, and then retain them. But there's like, don't ever let anyone tell you that there's no good employees out there because there is. I think a lot of it is, uh, like, I think we have more of like a, a rough or tough employer problem than an employee. You know, people say there's no good employees out there. Okay, but how many really good employers is there? Not that many. There's so many that just like, no, you have to do this. You have to do that. They're not willing to work with you. It's like, hey, can I go over that division? Or this isn't my favorite thing to do. Could I eventually work over here? No, I need you there, whatever. So there's, uh, there's, everyone is has their strengths and weaknesses. So you got to put them in the right place. You got to be willing to move them. You got to, you know what I mean? There's, it, there's no, like, it's, it's tough. People are the hardest part. But we've always came to it as an approach of like, we get it, you're a human. We know you're not going to be perfect. We know you're going to make a mistake. Um, basically just owning up to it, saying, hey, here's what happened. Okay, what we got to do to fix it. But there's, there's definitely good people out there. It's just finding them, retaining them. And uh, then, then I mean, without, without our crew, like with our team, it's like, we don't have, we, we, we can't be on six jobs a day and get a, a lot of work done on six jobs a day with, you know, me and Marlena and Jameson. Like, that's never going to happen. We can only do so much. It doesn't matter how good you are at anything. You can only be at one place at a time and only do so much. So like your team is everything. Like really your company boils down to who you have in it and you know and what their capabilities are and everything else. Like it's not a heartbeat in the seat. Like I was talking to one guy, he had a hundred dump trucks and he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, Yeah, you know, I got a hundred heartbeats in the seat, whatever. I'm like, what? And like, you think of your employees that way? Like that's that's insane. I've never thought of people like that. No, because I think you and I share similar values on this. Like one thing that's one of the most fulfilling pieces about growing a business is growing the team and having the team work together and it creating is. a place where people enjoy like you, for example, whenever you were working for the other excavation company, like providing an outlet for somebody to come and set a goal to be the best employee at that company. I want our business to be a place where people enjoy coming to work on most days, right? Everybody has bad days. Yep. Exactly. And things are going to go wrong, but, yep. um, it's interesting right now, and I know you hear it from the, especially from the generation above, specifically contractors. Nobody wants to work. Millennials don't want to work. Gen Z doesn't want to work. And I love hearing that because I'm like, this, this guy is not my competition because mm -hmm. he's already lost in his mind. Whereas you and I talk about this last time, whenever we were just on the phone, it's like, I just have the mindset that there are great employees out there. We just have to go find them. Whereas when somebody says that, I'm like, dude, you are on your way out and I'm taking market share. Yeah. It's like, it's like, sounds good. There is no employees then. And, and, and thinking that there is good employees and good people out there. It's not some make-believe thing that doesn't exist. Like it's a real thing. There is good people out there. I always think when someone say, when someone says there's no good employees out there, I always think, okay, well, you're not out there. Like, are, are you one of them? Or like, aren't you out here doing stuff? Like, okay, then you're not, a, then you must not be a good owner employee either then. But yeah, like you said, people, they already know there's not, so they don't even look. And all everyone that says that they're not they're not a good employer. Like they're, they're they don't take care of the people. They they assume, they they expect the world from an employee that they're paying fifteen dollars an hour. It's like no, that's not a fair trade. There, it's like that's yeah, we we don't compete with those people at all. And I I always think it's hilarious when people say that. 
another thing is when people say, oh, the young, younger generation, millennial, whatever, they don't want to work. It's like, I always say, okay, who, who raised them? Like, who raised them? Like, your, your generation is who raised them, so whose fault is it? You can't expect a kid to grow up and just automatically want to work hard, have your work ethic. It needs to be trained. It needs to be, you can't, a kid can't play a video game until he's 18 and then go up and work. If all he's ever done, he has no real world experience and no work ethic, like up until he's 18, the day he's 18 years old and one in one day, he's not a good, he doesn't have work ethic. He doesn't have experience, doesn't have anything. So it's like, you have to get kids working, you know, like people got to start working a part time when they're 15, 16, 17, whenever they can in the summers, you know, when they're 18, like then go work full time. You have to put in the work, you got to get the experience. There's no, it's the same thing. You know, you're not a professional, you know, excavator operator by the time you're, 18 you've been doing it for 20 minutes like it takes putting in the time it takes years of operating to become a really good operator like it's it doesn't happen overnight either but it's finding good people that have a good core a good foundation and then putting them where 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 they want to be where they're whether where they're good at and then taking good care of them giving them the tools they need to be successful and you know taking you know just just treating them how you want to be treated and they cost money and it takes time but that's the only way you have a good company so it's not optional really like to me it's like it's, it has to be done it's so crucial treat people how you want to be treated and it's very mm -hmm. simple when you think about it like that i think mm -hmm. so many people overcomplicate this leadership or this business ownership thing at the end of the day yes you may be the person driving the ship or setting the vision but it's your job to create a team where people enjoy coming to work together with each other and listening to those people oftentimes leads to that person being more productive. If that person tells you they don't want to be in an excavator, but they like driving a loader, my perspective is I'm going to figure out a way to move them in. Hey man, work with me for like the next month, right? We'll do our best to get you into a loader. Um, as soon as I possibly can, but can you help me out for the next month here? Right? Yeah, no problem. Maybe I can do that and they do it. And, you know. Yeah. But just those little things as an owner, like listening to your employees and creating that that team environment is huge. Something you always say at the end of your videos, what is it? Well, a couple of things that it is what you make to be here. Um, in order to get results, someone else is getting, you gotta do things someone else is doing. I mean, don't go do the same thing you see everyone else doing and expect a different result. Like it's not gonna happen. You gotta, you know, you gotta take the leap. You gotta, you gotta be willing to try things that everyone else isn't doing. You gotta be willing to take the plunge and, you know, be willing to accept whatever does happen. That works, that doesn't work. Like there's so many different things of like, you see online, like, oh, this guy's doing that. Okay, you never know someone's like, like in in their industry in their area. Just because you see this working for that person doesn't mean it's gonna work over here. The only thing that'll work is is like you know, there's never like a perfectly even playing field. The only perfectly even playing field is you treat others how you want to be treated, because like you're gonna you know you have to reap you know what you sow. So like that's everywhere. But like just seeing people do certain things, it doesn't always gonna work for you. Like you have to get out there and try it. You gotta get out there and put in the work try you know using that vehicle or that marketing thing just because it works for that guy doesn't mean it'll work for you so you gotta get out there and see what does and doesn't work for you in your industry in your area you know time of the year everything okay we're gonna reiterate those it is what you make it to be mm -hmm. and also what's the second one uh in order to get results no one else is getting you got to do things no one else is doing i love that mindset guys this is Garrett Williams with G&M Outdoor Services. Garrett, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I'm sure it's been been fun. It always feels like the second goes by in a blink of an eye. <laughs> I know it does. I looked up and we're at the top of the hour here, and I told you that we'd uh, we'd cut it at the at the top. But man, your mindset is infectious. You know the energy you bring, 
is awesome. I only wish you the best up there in continuing to grow your business. Uh, you've created an incredible business up there. And I think a lot of people can learn a lot from you. So Garrett's on YouTube at Garrett Williams. What's what's the handle? Um, I think just Garrett Williams or GDM Outdoors will come up. I think if you just type in Garrett Williams, it'll come up. We'll put the direct link in the show notes. Anything else you want to add for the listeners? No, I think um, just uh, just take accountability and put in the work. And there is no shortcut. There is no you know quicker way around. You got to put in the work. You have to do what it takes. I mean, don't don't be entitled. Don't expect the work to come to you. Don't expect the good people to come to you. You know, on their own. You got to do what it takes to put yourself in a place to where you know you can you can get that. So just put in the work. There's no shortcuts, and uh, it will be what you make it to be. If it's not working out, it's on you. And if it is working out, it's on you too. So <laughs> figure it out. Figure it out. Well, there you have it. Thanks so much for being on, Garrett. Sure, I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll uh, let's do another one here in the in the spring, or we'll do one about snow or something here soon. Yeah, we'll do one about snow plowing if you're down. Thank you guys for listening to the Owner Operator Podcast. That wraps up this episode. Make sure to go check out our other episodes if you haven't already. We hosted Bodie Gallo, the dumpster rental guy from New York. Also have Julius Markey from pressure washing business. So if you want to learn how to start another service business, go check out those other episodes. If you're just looking for mindset tips and sort of how to approach starting these businesses, go back and re-listen to this episode and go check out Garrett on YouTube as you will be motivated after you watch his videos. I can guarantee that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.